Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Pastor, if you don't if you don't know who I am, I'm the, James. I'm the youth pastor here. And um, last fall, <clears throat> last fall, I, I I stood in the cafeteria at Harvey High School. I was uh, preparing to um, uh, lead the club that uh, we have over there at Harvey. And uh, a student walks by me, and he knows that uh, we lead a Bible club there. And he's seen us around and he walks by me and without slowing down or turning to even look, he he just says, God isn't real and and walks walks right past me. And and I turned around and I said, hey, you you can't just say something like that and expect to just walk away from me. Like, hey, come back over here. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. And so stunned, he turned around at me and was like, uh, and, and then he, he, he walked back over to me and, and, he, and I started having a, a, a dialogue, a conversation with him. And I said, you know, why did you say that? Why, why do you think that? And he said to me, he said, you know, I, I can't believe in a God when there are Catholic priests molesting children. And I explained to him, I explained to him that the God I serve doesn't approve of that I explained to him, I tried to explain the difference between God and and people who claim to serve him, but uh, uh, I invited him to stay for the club, and he did, he did, he stayed, he stuck around, Um, he hung out, and for the next few weeks, he he just started coming to the club, and and, uh, a few weeks later, uh, before the club, we started having this conversation again, and he was just sharing with me he doesn't believe in God and, and all of this. And 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 I finally, after the, uh, that conversation, I got to the root of his animosity to the Lord. He he looked at me and he said, "I can't believe in God because last year my mom died, and I can't believe in a God who would let that happen. I can't believe in a God that would let that happen." You know, I don't know where you are with the Lord. I don't know what you believe. I don't know where, you're, where you are in your walk of faith. Uh, I don't know what you're going through, what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with personally. But I'll tell you the same thing that I told that student. I'm so sorry. I love you. You need to know that God loves you. You need to know that God loves you in the midst of the pain and the suffering, and the difficulty that you face. You see, I had assumed that I was just talking to a belligerent person, but I was talking to a broken person. I was talking to a broken person, a person dealing with the pain and the suffering and the loss. You know, how many of us go through life and we have difficulty, we have pain, we have suffering, and we ask How could God allow this to happen? God, why does this happen? Why, God? This morning, I want to talk to you from the topic, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? 
On a bit of a lighter note, um, earlier this week, God gave me a great illustration for this message. Um, uh, uh, on Tuesday, I bought um, four brand new tires for my car, four brand new Goodyear Assurance Max Life. They sold me on the longest lasting tread warranty, whatever thing. Um, it, they said, tread warranty, 85,000 miles. I mean, these things are nice tires, right? So I, I have them put on, I get in the car, I drive out of the lot, pull into CVS, I turn too sharp, hit the curb on the sidewall of the tire, and blow out one of those brand new tires like that. Boom, less than three miles on the thing, and it's done. That 85,000 mile tread life warranty. Listen, that doesn't, that, that doesn't count for road hazards, I learned, okay? I, I came to learn that that doesn't count for road hazards or for just me driving like an idiot. So um, anyway, blew out the brand new tired. I was so, so, so incredibly, incredibly furious. But I thought, you know, God has given me a good illustration um, for, for my sermon this morning. But, but again, on a serious note, we can ask the question, why is it, why is it that bad things happen to good people. If we look around our world, we see young people getting cancer, children starving, men and women sold into slavery, abuse, natural disaster, and all of that stuff took place before 2020, right? And now in 2020, we've got the virus, economic unrest, mandates, regulations, riots, and more. And we can ask the question, God, why is it that bad things happen to good people? The author of Ecclesiastes is described as the teacher. And he asked this question. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 15 it says, in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the teacher writes these words. And he writes these words because he's, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he's in search for meaning and he finds that meaning is elusive in all of the many places where he's searching for meaning. But here he writes that he's witnessed the righteous, those who do right, good people. He's witnessed them perishing in the good that they do on one hand, and on the other hand, he's also witnessed wicked people, those who do wrong, perish or living long in their wickedness. Haven't we all seen that? Haven't we all experienced that? See, many of us are taught that if you do good, if you just do these good things, that good things will follow you. But if you do bad things, then bad things will follow you. And often that is the case. But sometimes, sometimes bad things happen to good people. In this world, we know of missionaries who leave family, jobs, fortune behind, go to a place far away from home, 
leaving everything else behind only to encounter opposition, persecution, disease, poverty in that place as they're serving God. And yet we see some of the most wicked and vile people that we could ever imagine becoming millionaires, billionaires, fame, fortune, success, everything that we know. And we can ask the question, why is it that bad things happen to good people? We all know it's true that to live a righteous life doesn't mean having what the world may call success, and it doesn't make you immune to suffering. And so this morning, in order to dive into this question, why do bad things happen to good people, I think we need to take a few minutes and discover a biblical understanding of what pain is. Explore what the Bible has to say about our pain and suffering. Now, I'll just let you know up front, I don't have the expertise to give you a comprehensive look at a biblical theology of pain, but I wanna just share with you three things. Three observations that I've made from scripture about pain. And the first is that pain is unavoidable. Pain is unavoidable. There are those who may tell you that if you just have enough faith, just have enough faith that God will be wants to rescue you out of every situation before it gets too tough and too difficult. And certainly God has the power and God has the ability to, and certainly he sometimes does rescue us out of that and delivers us from that. But sometimes, sometimes instead of God wanting to deliver us from something, he wants to develop something on the inside of us. Jesus said, speaking of his heavenly father, Matthew chapter five, verse 45, he said, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Just as the sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous, so rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. It's unavoidable. In fact, Jesus promised it to his disciples in John chapter 16, 33. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Sometimes we think that that second sentence cancels out the first, like Jesus is saying, because he overcame the world, that yes, he acknowledges the existence of trouble, but he's saying trouble won't touch you because you are with me. But that isn't the case. He's saying you will experience trouble. You will experience pain. You will experience suffering, but I endured it. I overcame it, and I will be with you in the midst of it so you too can overcome, so you too can endure. No, Jesus isn't saying that you will not have any trouble. In fact, it reminds me of that old Crab Family song. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy. He never promised that the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered us victory without fighting, but he said help would always come in time. Pain is unavoidable, friend. And I tell you this not because I want to discourage you this morning. I tell you this because there are those who want to serve God only because they believe that God will give them, bring them comfort. 
only because they believe that God will bring them peace, only because that God will bring them good things. And what happens is like that student that I talked to at Harvey, life happens, pain and suffering happens in their lives. And then they question and they doubt, is God really real? Because the whole reason I'm serving him is for him to make, give me a perfect life. And then this happened. But pain is unavoidable, and the avoidance of pain should never be a motivation to serve God. The avoidance of pain should never be a motivation to serve or follow God. Just look at Job. Job 1.8, the Lord says this about Job, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. We should all strive to, to have God say that about us. And yet, if you read the book of Job, and I would encourage you to do so, if you read it, you'll know that Job suffered like few have suffered before. He knew suffering. He knew suffering. Job wrote this, Job 14.1, mortals born of women are of few days and full of trouble. What the book of Job teaches us is that because we live in a fallen world, it's possible to do everything right and still have everything go wrong because pain is unavoidable. Pain is unavoidable. And pain is unavoidable because pain is allowed by the will of God. That's point number two. Pain is allowed by the will of God. Now, don't tune me out just yet. Listen to this. Isaiah 53.10 says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. This is a prophetic text speaking of Jesus Christ centuries before his death on the cross. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer, and, and you, you might say, Pastor James, yeah, I believe that. Of course, the cross was God's will. The cross was God's will because on the cross, Jesus bought us our redemption, our reconciliation, our forgiveness happened on the cross. Of course, there was a greater good in the cross and the pain and the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. And so too, if Christ suffered for a greater good, then our suffering, our pain, allowed by the will of God, for his good, for his purposes. God's goal isn't always to deliver you again. His goal is to develop something on the inside of you. This is why Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And if I'm Simon, I'm saying, you prayed for what? You didn't pray that I would be rescued. You didn't pray that I would be saved. You didn't pray that I would be delivered. You prayed that my faith would not fail Jesus. God the Son, praying within the perfect will of God, did not pray for deliverance for Simon. He prayed for endurance. He prayed that his faith would not fail. And so too, Jesus intercedes at the right hand of the Father for you. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, he's praying that your faith would not fail. He's praying that you would endure. Pain is allowed by the will of God. As Christians, we believe in the supremacy of God. We believe in his sovereignty. So we have to come to the conclusion that God sees and allows our pain. 
You know, there's a verse that messes me up probably more than any other verse in the Bible, and I've read the second half of it. It's that verse in Job, Job chapter one, verse eight. I read to you this part already where God says about Job that there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. I already read that part, but I didn't give you the whole story. I didn't give you the whole context of what is happening when God says that. You see, God says this because he's in this heavenly meeting with the angels. And the angels are standing before him and they're reporting. And along with the angels, the Bible tells us that Satan is there also. And in Job chapter 1 verse 8, here's the whole verse. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God brings Job up to Satan. God does. God is the one who says, have you considered my servant Job, you see, what we have to understand about the story of Job is that God actually has to give Satan permission in order for Satan to cause Job suffering. But it's not Satan who brings Job up to God. Satan doesn't come before God and say, God, let me get at him. Let me, God says, have you considered my servant Job? How can a loving God do that? Like, it messes with me. How can a loving God do that? It brings me to this point, the third point. You see, pain can be allowed by the will of God because pain is not at odds with love. The allowance of pain in our lives is not at odds with the love of God. We often believe that pain can't be allowed because we think that it's unloving when that couldn't be further from the truth. We've already seen that it was God's will and God allowed his son to suffer. We know that God loves his son and yet he allowed him to suffer on the cross in our place. Elizabeth Elliot, who was a missionary in Ecuador with her two young children, wrote this after her husband was killed by the very people that they were trying to reach with the gospel. Here's what she wrote. She said, our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. But the love of God did not protect his own son. The love of God did not protect his own son. Parents, you, you, you recognize this, you know this, you see this. You know that to protect your children from all pain is not loving. To protect your children from all and every pain is not loving. Proverbs 3.12 says that the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. And what you need to know about that is a father doesn't discipline only for wrongdoing, but a father teaches discipline. A father teaches discipline. You send your kids to school, even if they're kicking and screaming about it. You, you, you cause your kids to do homework, even if it causes them some pain. Why? Because you're teaching them something. You're trying to develop something inside of them. You, the father who, who listen, uh, my dad taught me how to ride a bike, right? Anybody's dad teach them how to ride a bike in the room? And I hated it. Hated it. Why? Because he lets you go. And what happens? You fall, 
and then you get up and you fall again and you get up and you fall again and you fall and you fall and you fall and I couldn't get it and I was crying in tears and I didn't want to go back out there. I didn't want to try anymore. I was fine with training wheels for the rest of my life. Just give me training wheels. I'm fine with that. Till one day my grandfather came over. <laughs> he said, we're going on a bike ride. He took me up to the top of a hill. Down I went. Guess what, I learned how to ride real quick, real fast. Not what I wanted, something that was painful for me, something that was suffering, but it taught me something. It developed something on the inside of me. Pain is not at odds with love. Pain is not at odds with love. The love of a father isn't about keeping their child from all pain, but rather true love is allowing pain in order turn their child, to develop their child, to form the child into something. God isn't trying to give you comfort. In fact, he's not trying to give you something. He's trying to form you into something. He's trying to shape you into something. He's trying to mold you into something. He is the potter. We are the clay, and he's shaping, forming, and molding and pain is often necessary for us to grow. When a baby is growing teeth, it causes pain to the child and to the mother. Teenagers, before they shoot up like a weed, often experience growth pains, no pain, no gain. That's why God allows pain in our lives. Not because he doesn't love us, he allows it because he does love us. James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How do we become mature? Through trials, through pain, through testing, through suffering. God has a purpose in the midst of what you're going through. He does. God has a purpose in the midst of what you're going through. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, which I highly recommend, he writes this. He says, the problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of a God who loves is only insoluble so long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love and look upon things as if man were the center of them. Man is not the center God does not exist for the sake of man. Man does not exist for his own sake. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were made, not primarily that we may love God, though we were made for that too, but that God may love us, that we may become objects in which the divine love may rest well pleased. See, the truth is, we think we know what love means. We think we know what love means and we think we know what love is, but the Bible says that God is love. And that we didn't first love him, he first loved us and then teaches us and shows us how we are to love one another. And so our definition, everything we know and understand, true love only comes from God. And so for us to say, God, you're unloving. He is love. 
We are the ones who misunderstand. We are the ones who don't understand what love is. He gets to say what love is. And the ultimate expression of God's love isn't keeping us from pain. The ultimate expression of God's love is conforming us into the image of his son. Conforming us into the image of his son. A biblical understanding of pain is that pain is unavoidable because it's allowed by the will of God because pain is not at odds with his love and he uses pain to shape us into the image of his son. So what? So what? I had a professor at uh, Valley Forge who, um, and anytime we would write uh, a paper or anything, he would just ask us the question, so what? So what? Why does this matter? Who cares? Like, like, why does this matter? And some of you today, you might be asking, why does this matter to me? On an individual level, like, like why does this matter to me? That student at Harvey High School, whose mother passed away, why does it matter to him? So what? Here's, so what? Here it is. Pain, suffering, and yes, even death are not the ultimate evil for the believer in Christ. Rather, pain, suffering, and death, they're not ends in and of themselves, but they're means of God to mold us and to transform us to be more like Christ. To be more like Christ. That's why Paul could say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We don't lose when we die. We gain. We don't lose when we suffer as Christ suffered. For when we suffer as Christ suffered, we become more like Christ. We don't lose. We gain. And I get it. We all want to live that American dream. We all want that beautiful home, the white picket fence, 2.5 children, a dog, nice cars, Live the remainder of our days in complete comfort, avoiding all discomfort, avoiding all pain, avoiding all trials. But I'm not sure that that's God's dream for us. His dream is not that we would avoid all discomfort. His dream is that we would be conformed to the likeness of his son. And if that means discomfort, if that means pain now, then we have to put that into perspective with the purpose of what God has in store. Church, we cannot live as if comfort is the ultimate goal. Christ is. Christ is. And when we make comfort the ultimate goal, we idolize comfort. And comfort becomes our idol. We need to stop living for comfort and start living for Christ. Our comfort here and now is not and cannot be the ultimate identity of a Christian. Our pain has a purpose and the purpose is to shape us and to form us to be like Christ and that brings me back to our question. Way back at the beginning, why do bad things happen to good people? Why? Do bad things happen to good people? And the simple answer is to make us more like Christ 
but I have to be honest with you. If we examine the question, why is it that bad things happen to good people, we will see that it assumes two things. That question has two assumptions, and one of them is a false assumption. The first assumption that that question has is that bad things happen. And we found in the word of God that that is true. Bad things happen, but the second assumption that that question makes is a false assumption, and the second assumption is that there is such a thing as a good person. That there is such a thing as a good person. Romans chapter three, verses 10 through 12 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, good teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response was, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. And so there is only one good person who has ever lived. Therefore, the, the statement, the question, why is it that bad things happen to good people? It only happened once, and it was the cross. It was the cross. A good thing, a bad thing happened to a good person once on the cross, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. He suffered for me, I deserve to be there. A good person died the death of a criminal. That's what I deserved. My sin put him there. That's what I deserved. Yet he stepped in, he stood in the gap. He paid the price for me. He paid it for me. The cross is the ultimate expression of a bad thing happening to a good person. Jesus didn't deserve the cross. In fact, he could have avoided the cross, but instead he chose the cross. Why? Because it's that cross that brought me life. It's that cross that brought me life. It's that cross that brings us life. We have to stop viewing of what Jesus did on the cross as a means to make bad people good. We have to stop viewing what Jesus did on the cross as a means to make good people better. What Jesus did on the cross was to bring dead people back to life, not to make bad people good or good people better, to bring dead people. When I was dead in my sin, without hope of ever doing good enough, without hope of ever earning it, without hope of ever making it to heaven, Jesus... Jesus stepped in. He took my place. He died on the cross. And because of him, because of him, I have the hope to spend eternity with the Lord. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. He made the way. He asks that we would repent of our sin ask for his forgiveness, surrender our lives, and then he will transform our heart and begin making us to be like him. See, what I believe, you see, when I believe that I'm saved because I'm a good person in addition to what Jesus did, when I believe that 
and then pain and suffering happen in my life, I say, God, you owe me. I'm a good person. You owe me when the truth of the matter is. He doesn't owe me. I owe everything to him. I owe everything to him. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that because we are sinful and fallen people, we deserve a harmful and a terrible, horrible life. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is sometimes we say, God, I want proof of your love. Prove to me that you love me. Give me something good. (laughs) And the thing is, he already proved his love for us on the cross. The cross is proof enough of his love for us. The question we should be asking isn't why do bad things happen to good people? The question we should be asking is why do good things happen to bad people like me? And the answer is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus every single time. Why is it that a good thing could happen to me? Why is it that a good person would die for me? Why is it it's because of Jesus? It's because of Jesus. The answer is Jesus. How can I experience joy? How can I experience peace? How can I experience any good thing happening in a fallen world? Jesus. Jesus. Often, atheists like that student I spoke to at Harvey use the existence of pain and suffering as a means to dismiss God. They say that the existence of pain and suffering proves that either God isn't powerful enough to stop it or he isn't good enough to care. But G.K. Chesterton turns that argument around and, and he says that instead of talking about the problem of pain, we should bring up the problem of pleasure. Because how can there be pain and evil in the world if there is no good, if we have no understanding of what good and evil is in the first place? How can there be good? Because evil actually does more to prove the existence of God than disprove it. Because without an immutable standard of good, then how do we even know what is evil? He says the existence of God prove, or the existence of good proves that God exists. In a fallen world, inhabited only by fallen people, how can there be any good at all? God. 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 Friends, pain may be inevitable, but God is still good. Pain may be unavoidable, but God is still good. I want to invite the worship team to come now. And as they come, I want you to know my heart behind this. I know that there are many of you in here who are suffering with difficult and painful things and you came to church this morning with deep suffering for whatever reason and I don't want to make light of that. That's not what this is about. This isn't a message that says, buck up, get over it. God is good, now go, right? This, this is God sees you in the midst of your pain. He sees you 
He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to be there for you. He wants to hold your hand. He wants to walk you through it. And he wants you to endure to the end. He wants you to have faith to the end. Christ is at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for you. He's interceding for you that your faith might endure. That your faith might endure. What I'm saying is that if living for Christ and being made to be like Christ is our ultimate goal, then pain and suffering can be endured because he suffered for us. It's naive for me to think that as a believer and a follower of Christ that, that I would not suffer because he suffered. It's naive of me to think that if I follow Christ, I won't be betrayed because he was betrayed. It's naive of me to think that if I follow Christ that I won't experience pain. He experienced pain, he experienced loss. He's been there. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrow, familiar with suffering. We have to stop living as if the ultimate goal of our existence is to avoid pain. To stop living as if the ultimate existence, our goal of our existence is to seek only comfort. G.K. Chesterton also wrote this. He said, meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. God isn't so much concerned with your comfort, he's concerned with your obedience. And if we live for comfort, then any sign of pain is defeat. If comfort is the ultimate goal, any sign of pain along the way, that's defeat. But when we live for Christ, pain is just another opportunity to serve him, to be more like him, to suffer as he suffered. The hope of the gospel isn't comfort. It's far better than our earthly comfort. The hope of the gospel is eternity with Jesus, forever with Jesus, forever with him. That's the hope of the gospel. And if you haven't received Jesus this morning, if you haven't received that hope, I want to give you an opportunity to do so right here and right now. So if you would... Everyone in this place, bow your head and close your eyes with me. And if you would say this morning, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, not because I was a good person, not because I deserved it, because I did anything to earn it, but he did it because I was dead and I needed life. And he loved me enough to die for me. This morning, if you would say, I need forgiveness in Jesus because I recognize that I am a sinful person, that I am a sinful person and I need Christ's forgiveness. If you would just raise your hand in this place this morning. Yeah, I see your hands. I see them. I see them. I see them. Yeah, I see them. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the pain. Thank you 
for the trials. Thank you for the hardships that led me to you. Thank you for the difficulty that's making me more like you. Thank you that you're forming me, you're shaping me into your likeness. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place, for taking my place. Forgive me of my sin today. Make me new. Help me to live a life of obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Listen, if, if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, whether you're here in person or you are online, would you let somebody know about that? Would you let somebody know? You can email us if you're online at info at painsvilleag.com or you can talk to Pastor Aaron or myself or one of the team here. We'd love to, let, to, to, to equip you for your walk and your relationship with Christ. But now, the worship team is gonna lead us in one more song. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.